E-S-N-Y. Chip Murphy. Chip, what's going on, man? How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, holiday season fast and approaching. Uh, very excited for some family's time and some good food. Um, anyone that knows that the, the shows that we've been doing, we've been focusing on a lot of different NBA franchises. Uh, tonight, we wanted to tackle a different topic. Um, Chip and I are both Knicks fans. We've been really interested in seeing what they've done this far, this offseason, uh, regarding their salary cap and who, which types of players they've brought on. Um, so to help us break it down, uh, we are super pumped up to have a very special guest, contributor to the Strickland and Knicks Film School. If you're a Knicks fan, if you're on Knicks Twitter, you already know who this is. Uh, very talented Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Really excited. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, man. So I think... The, the place I want to get started tonight is just a very general question, and then as we kind of go along with the conversation, we might get a little bit more granular, a little bit more specific with it. Um, but knowing that the Knicks uh, still have some work to do, uh, they're, they're probably not done. Overall, what, what type of grade would you give their offseason thus far? I guess I'd have to say somewhere hovering around like the BB plus area. Um, you know, I, I'm still so curious what they're going to do with the remaining 18 million or so left with their cap space. So I think once we get a more concrete idea, especially because there's there's a bit of a front court logjam, as I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the ability to stay flexible moving forward to get more picks than they first started with the off season uh, investing in the youth. It's, it just feels like uh, a really solid, solid plan so far. So I'll give it a BB plus. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm really interested too. I think like, um, and chip, I want to get your thoughts on it as well. Like I, and uh, I, I like the contract. I know that there was a little bit of a debate on Nick's Twitter about uh, Austin rivers. Um, I'm interested to see what type of Austin rivers we get. You know, I think on some of the better teams that he's been on, uh, he was really able to flex, you know, his some of his catch-and-shoot ability, um, you know, a fighter on defense, which I didn't really know that he had in him, which I was very pleasantly surprised about. Um, you know, if we want him to assume a lot of primary ball handling ability uh, duties, I think that might be a little bit tough. But, um, yeah, I think I think a B, B-plus, I, I think that's pretty fair for them so far. Chip, what do you think? I think there is only one Austin Rivers. I don't know what. Like, I think there's only there's a guy who he wants to shoot and score. Like the point guard Austin Rivers, I don't think is a good idea if that's still an idea that's being floated around. So just a point. That's my thoughts on that. Like Austin Rivers, I like the signing, totally love it, and especially that it's a one year deal. And I think he's going to come out and he's going to play really well. He knows Tibbs really well. 
I think he's going to play really, really well and score, probably shoot a lot of threes and create his own shot and score. But as far as the off season, yeah, I'd say a B is a really good grade because there's not a lot of things they did for once that uh, I disagree with. I mean, outside of the Alfred Payton signing, I, you can't really find too much at fault with what they did. Like, and they really only brought Alfred Payton back because there was no one else for them to sign anyway. So, you know, they, I'm sure they would have loved to have had Fred Van Vliet. Tibbs, I'm sure wanted uh, DJ Augustine back. That was his guy in Chicago, but Augustine got a lot of money from Milwaukee. Yeah. I think in three years, 21 million, three, right? And three years. Yeah. yeah. So that's, and he, and he also went to a championship contender. So they weren't going to, match that money or those years. So yeah, I, you can't find a lot of fault with what they did. I know a lot of people didn't like the Obi Toppin pick. Uh, and no, I, I think a B is a good grade for sure. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, no, I, I, I like it. Um, I'd be interested to kind of get into Alfred Payton a little bit. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I think I might be in the minority on, on Nick's Twitter. I, I kind of like Payton. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, we, Chip and I were talking a little bit offline. I know we both would have loved to have gotten a, a point guard that can stretch the floor and you have to respect his shot a little bit more. But, um, you know, I remember when Peyton came back from injury, when Fisdale was still the coach, or maybe it was after he had just gotten fired. Uh, and, and the team really responded to that. That's something that I think still kind of sticks in my mind as having someone who's, you know, a fairly competent uh, floor general who's, and I know these. this is like a very low bar to set for a point guard, but someone who, you know, gives you a solid entry pass into the post and understands, um, you know, different pick and roll um, reads and, and whatnot. It's just he doesn't do anything special and he can't shoot. Uh, and, and that obviously hurts you in some areas. But I liked bringing Peyton back. I didn't mind that. Um, you know, particularly that much. Jeremy, what did you think of that? Yeah, I, you know, I was disappointed that the options were so slim that Peyton felt like the best option. But, you know, a lot of what we've seen from him has been against starters. And when viewing him with, you know, Jeff Teague or Brad Wanamaker, um, any of the guys who are really available, those are career backups. I mean, Wanamaker was in Europe for years and finally got his shot to then back up Steph Curry. So viewing Alfred Payton as a starter versus viewing him as a guy off the bench who can just run with three wings and a pick and roll big, um, that's huge. And I think that that can really pay dividends, especially because, yes, obviously it's frustrating that he has a no trade protection, but it's not like the Knicks purposely gave it to him like, hey, we we have no intention of trading you. It was just a formality from the CBA. So you know, I'm sure that in the right situation, if he needed to be moved, it could certainly uh, right. play out that way. But I, I, I that's the thing. I, I don't love the fact that he's back by any any means. It's just it could have been a you know a player who's worse than he is, and just because Knicks fans don't necessarily watch Jeff T consistently or um, Shaquille Harrison, whoever really was out there that might have Shabazz Napier, they're fine. It's just the the difference between Peyton and them is it's not even a lake. It's like a pond or a stream versus an ocean. 
Yeah, we had Kyle Ratke on the podcast yesterday who covers the Minnesota Timberwolves, and he said basically that we dodged a bullet with Jeff Teague because he right. said he's the most frustrating player he's ever watched. And that he even he I I totally forgot that, but that Jeff Teague was basically campaigning for Tyus Jones to get his starting job in Minnesota. I totally forgot that. But and Tibbs just wouldn't give it to him. But yeah, I I think it says a lot that you know, he was Tibbs' guy in Minnesota, and even Tibbs let him walk to the Celtics on a one-year deal. It wasn't like a multi-year thing like Augustine. No, Jeff Teague is no better than Alfred Payton, and it's not like he's going to shoot the lights out or anything right. either. Teague yeah. is not much of a shooter either. He's especially not as good a shooter as Augustine or Van Vliet. So, yeah, it's it's not an – it's a – neither one is a needle mover, Payton or uh, Teague. Jeremy, what do you think about the uh, the point guard rotation? Given that we we talked about Peyton a little bit, um, you know, I know uh, Chip was talking to me about you know the guy. The, I I think whether it was a a podcast that you did with with Macri or or something that you guys wrote about DSJ um, between Frank DSJ and and Peyton, how do you see that kind of playing out this year? You know, I mean, for Peyton being with RJ, in my opinion, just doesn't really make a lot of sense, especially with Mitch. If Mitch's game were to open up a little bit more, then you could make a more convincing argument. But it's the sort of thing where you could have – I guess I'm, I'm a little concerned because if you had Frank or if you had DSJ, starting with, with presumably RJ, Obi, and Mitch, then that's a lot of pressure on someone like Alec Burks to um, work with four players who are ages 20 to 22. And your lineup's just going to get slaughtered. Um, I personally would still love to see some player from the outside be traded in, perhaps in some sort of bigger Randall deal. But based on what the Knicks have at the moment, you know, the ability to run Frank out there makes you certainly more versatile. Uh, he really wants to play on ball versus off, apparently. So if you can give him that opportunity, if he if he wins that opportunity, of course. But with Dennis Smith Jr., I. I always go back to the fact that if he couldn't work with Luka Doncic, how is he going to work with anyone else really in the NBA? And, you know, maybe he has worked on rewiring his brain from a playmaking standpoint and from just a a working hard standpoint, you know, he's had issues in the past. And so I'd hope that he, after a really tough season, emotionally and physically, he's gotten over that um, and that he's, he's at peace with that. In the meantime, though, I'm not sure if he's able to take that job based on where he was. So I, I'd like to see Frank, but ultimately, you know, whoever puts RJ and the rest of the front court in the best position to succeed should absolutely gain the starting job. I think it's a really big, um, it's it's kind of like a huge point of debate, too, because like I, I'm a big OB Toppin guy, uh, but I will admit that the system at Dayton uh, was really tailor-made for him. And having someone who can really run and spread pick and roll well, but someone who you can also respect their shot. Like, I don't have the numbers on me right now for Jalen Crutcher, but watching him a little bit in, in when I did more OB Tate, um, he seemed like a pretty, you know, respectable three-point shooter, just shooter in general. Um, so... I, I do think that that is going to be really important, not just for RJ, but Obi's development. Um, I think Peyton had decent chemistry with Mitch. Uh, it certainly seemed like DSJ 
Jay did for some of the, the moments that he was in there. But I, I, I think maybe that's probably the biggest point that leads us to the work in the offseason is not done yet. Because you would like to think that if Brock Aller, who we're assuming is making a lot of, uh, maybe one of the loudest voices in the decision room is, is leading some of the strategy. And we've seen some type of forward-thinking moves with, okay, picking up salary for picks, then dumping it, uh, the Ed Davis move. You would like to think that if we're moving towards a more a decision process that is a little bit more analytically based, we would see kind of like that gaping hole of weakness, which is our point guard position right now. And knowing that, I mean, we might lose a lot of games anyway with the way that our roster is right now, but if we don't get someone who runs the pick and roll well and and, and you can respect their shot, we might be in a, a real big trouble. Chip, what would you say to that? You're talking about Mike Conley or Lonzo Ball right now? I mean, listen, I I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I, I Someone different. I mean, I, I like Peyton. It's just to have him start um with our roster i mean it, it it could get ugly quick i don't know and then i just... mean lonzo ball is the guy right that people is the logical conclusion just because they traded for eric bledsoe and they drafted lewis from bama i it looks like he's going to be available and he had such a good shooting season and it, he would be a great fit with mitch it looks like he would be available and Maybe Monty I mean, Morris from Denver. I know I've heard that name thrown around a little yeah. bit too. Um, I don't know how much of a playmaker he is, but I, I think he can score fairly decently. So, I, I mean, maybe that's another option as well. Set the NCAA record in uh, assist-to-turnover ratio. Well, there you yeah. go. He's, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think any of those guys would be great options. The only thing about Lonzo is I'm unsure how much of a primary he would be in terms of um, – Maybe he's more of a half-court guy. Um, but then that also means, you know, ball might be in RJ's hands more, which would be great in yeah. that sense. Um, I mean, I, I'm a huge proponent of trading for Mike Conley, but I think that dream is unfortunately dead, which, uh, you know, maybe we'll uh, we'll see it the next year. But until then, George Hill stands out to me as one viable option in that he could – at least uh, stabilize the position for a bit, and then the Knicks could either look to flip him at the deadline, or they could look to flip him the following year because he's only on a uh, it's a ten million dollar contract, but it's only guaranteed for about one point three million dollars. So, for someone who excelled so well around a player like Giannis, where you had a wing who was bringing the ball up quite frequently, um, you'd think he can provide some sort of value to New York and certainly any other teams. I think he shot. A ridiculously high amount from three last year. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, the likelihood that some of the new signings that we have can be flipped at the deadline. Like, I was talking to Chip offline before, and I think one of the things that stuck out to me was the fact that um, Marcus Morris, you know, was essentially having the season of his life, you know, for us to get up a first round pick out of him. But the year prior, and this is a big drop off, I'm not trying to compare the players, but you had Vonley, Cantor, um, Trey Burke, and, and maybe some others. We couldn't get anything for them. Um, and Chip was telling me, and, and he was correct, that you know we kind of screwed up Cantor's um, trade value by putting him on the bench. 
But Vonley was was pretty serviceable, and I was surprised we couldn't get something for him. Um, Burks does seem like a really good option for that, and I think Rivers can too. But of the guys that we have right now, you know, realistically, what do you think? And obviously, it depends on how they play. But like, realistically, what do you think we can get for them as we kind of move forward? I think last year Burks netted the Warriors two second round picks from the Sixers. So if he's able to replicate that with a similarly bad team and um, with a little bit more talent, assuming health uh, works out, I mean, the Warriors without Steph, you had Draymond, but of course, but it just was not a very good team at all. Um, The ability to to swap him out, especially on only $6 million would be, phenomenal um i think you can take reggie bullock i kind of think that his time has come to an end and burks probably made him a bit obsolete so if you can flip him for something beforehand and maybe clear a bit more of a path for if frank milikina is going to be uh, viewed as more of a wing than a guard or at least um, an off-ball player then that would be playing time right there um i'm honestly a little hesitant towards trading a player like noel because he is so similar to what Mitchell Robinson does that having 40 minutes of rim protection like that would be phenomenal. And I think that you could actually re-sign him next year uh, just based on the fact that the Knicks are likely to have in excess of $60 million in cap space. Mm. And that's great except for the fact that the market is probably going to be pretty weak, even weaker than what we're seeing here, especially if, Giannis signs the Supermax, not that he was necessarily a logical option now, but uh, just, and the BAM signing kind of might indicate that. So if there really aren't that many options, you have to start to figure out what you can do. And there's nothing wrong with appeasing clutch. If you wanted Noel for another year, you could just toss him a slightly larger contract because this is the biggest one of his career thus far uh, at only $5 million. So um, I'd say that Burks, definitely Rivers, as you said too, Jeff, he would make a lot of sense. And that's, in my opinion, one of the best contracts in the NBA, just based on how it's structured. The fact that he's what, like 28 years old or so. And he would agree to a three year deal with the last two years being non-guaranteed for only about $3 million. It's, you know, I, I, I don't know who his agent is necessarily. I know it's CAA, but that's uh, yeah, it's an interesting contract to sign. Um, So he's a a very flippable person too. And um, I, I think he could at least net a solid second if if the play is right, just based on the contract. What about Julius Randle, though? Yeah, I mean, what does he get the Knicks, if anything, right now? Or me and Jeff were talking about, should they hold on to him? Maybe see what he does during the season, if they can get more for him? For Randle, it's like, what does his presence on the team necessarily help the others by doing? Um, yeah. And that's the thing that, that worries me the most. Uh, you know, I mean, if if the Knicks hadn't signed Noel, I would have thought like, okay, well, maybe they could try him as a five. I, you know, I, I would hate the combination with Alfred Payton, just have to break that up, but maybe it would work. And then they did sign Noel, and it made a lot less sense. And before then, they had Toppin. I, I thought they were going to go with maybe a wing or a guard instead, and um, Toppin being signed kind of shut the door there too. So, I, you know, in my mind, I've got this kind of like, convoluted three team deal. If, if the Hornets feel like not stretching Batum's contract, there is a way that you could probably work something out where Randall goes to the thunder. 
and the Thunder send George Hill to the Knicks, and the Knicks send Bullock to the Hornets, and uh, the Thunder send Ariza to the Hornets, and then the Hornets send a, a very well-protected first-round pick that's really like two second-round picks. And then maybe the Knicks get like a late second. Hmm. Um, just in the sense that it, it saves the Hornets money and, and gives them a little bit more of a fuller roster at the wing. The Thunder really don't have a four, even though they're going to be pretty terrible to begin with. But And Randall certainly won't or wouldn't derail the tank there. And then the Knicks get a point guard and, and clear the uh, roster. And the only downside, of course, if you're a Knicks fan is, okay, well, you'd also be getting Batum to match salaries. And, yeah, I mean, Chip, I know you certainly cover the Southeast much more than I do, so maybe you can reflect on it. But uh, to me, the idea of getting Batum is really just like the cost of doing business and then the ability to, as I said, if you wanted to flip George Hill at the deadline or next year, you're just you're basically working on this year's team and then trying to get a future asset as well. I love the idea of getting Batum. I think it's totally worth it. Yeah, I would absolutely take him on, and that they just stunk, uh, stuck him on the bench all year last year. And yeah, I mean, he's maybe he's can't play at all. Maybe he can, but he's obviously the connection with Frank Nilakina is tempting there. And I, and that's a reason to do it in my opinion, but, and I wanted Evan Fournier. I wrote about that. I totally wanted them to try and grab Evan Fournier from the magic. That's not happening. The magic are not trading Evan Fournier. Uh, but Nicholas Batum, I would totally make that deal. The deal you just set up, I would absolutely do that in a second. And I don't know why Knicks fans would have a problem with that. Oh, Nick Batum has a terrible contract. Like you just said, trading Reggie Bullock, Alec Burks is a better player. He's going to shoot. He's going to make more. Reggie Bullock, uh, his numbers were okay last year, but uh, his catch and shoot numbers. But I feel like he had like, he had like a a decent stretch where he was, hitting a bunch of shots with us. He was also injured. It's weird. We I feel like we had a lot of players that were on one-year deals that had a lot of different things kind of just happen to them either physically or personally, and I don't know that we got the, the best of them. No, for sure. Wayne Ellington had the worst season of his career right. for us, of course. <laughs> it was ter- He was terrible. The only bad shooting season of Wayne Ellington's career came when he played for the Knicks. Of course it did. But... No, I totally, I, Nicholas Batum, I would absolutely take that on. And it's the perfect time for the Knicks to do something like that. It's They set it up perfectly, and I don't see why they wouldn't. And let the God, why would the Hornets stretch that contract in the first place? You're the perfect person for us to ask that to, that Jeremy. True, why are Jeremy. they doing that? I'm baffled, too. Just this idea of, like, why would you make this a $39 million per year contract on average, basically, for the first three yeah. years of Hayward's deal? It, it's nonsensical. Um, I really thought they were going to do some sort of sign and trade, and maybe they still can. But then um, I floated the idea of sending Randall to Boston. The Celtics get a trade exception, and then the Hornets get um, Hayward, and then they send Batum's contract to the Knicks, uh, along with, like, you know, again, a heavily protected first round pick. But then the Celtics hours later went and signed Tristan Thompson to the mid-level, so that kind of uh, eradicated that deal. But I don't don't understand how, if you're the Hornets, you have Gordon Hayward, the best free agent signing in your team's history, and you're just totally cool with wasting money 
to make that work. And if you're Gordon Hayward, why are you cool with the idea that your team is stretching a, a bad contract just to fit you in? I mean, yeah, he's going to stay. He's obviously going to go there and that's not a huge issue, but to think about like a team that is being run by people that aren't creative enough to maybe think right away, how can we figure out a way to get Batum off of our team? And instead of stretching him, because if you just trade a bunch of second round picks and obviously the Knicks had the Hornets pick this past year and they right. have it next year, but you can buy second round picks. Yeah. They're very easily replaceable. And if they help you get some sort of, if they help you get out of a bad contract, there are worse positions to be in, like maybe not having Gordon Hayward and be left with a lot of cap space and no one to really sign. It was the Kings who did that with Rondo, right? They stretched Rondo instead of trading him. I think it was the Kings. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, it's just a weird, it's a weird move when it feels like you absolutely, I know that OKC's probably not taking on any more terrible contracts after they took on Horford, but to stretch him and so quickly too, that it sounds like they made the decision right away to stretch him and not even attempt to trade him. It was just bizarre, but to give him 120 million is a bizarre move too. That's, and I know the Stein we're recording this right after the Stein thing came out that the Knicks were apparently offering him uh, Hayward four years, but it doesn't, I don't think uh, it said the number that the Knicks were going to offer, but I doubt the Knicks were going to go up to 120 million. But I think if uh, they did, he, he would have gone. Yeah. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. He would have chosen New York over Charlotte. But yeah, uh, I, I don't think I listened to Zach Lowe's podcast where he was talking about the Celtics and how they, how interested they were and how they want to bring him back. And yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, the Celtics really dropped the ball on this one was my whole takeaway in free agency. I want to talk to you about that too, Jeremy, that because me and Jeff were talking about winners and losers in free agency. And I mean, obviously the Lakers come away as the big winner for me, but for me, the Celtics are the biggest loser in all this. Cause it seemed like Ainge had a chance to come away with miles Turner and he didn't. What do you think? Yeah. I, you know, I, I follow Keith Smith. He's great on Twitter for those of you out there who may be unfamiliar with him. He's um, fantastic just with a lot of the cap minutia and everything going on. And he happens to be a Celtics fan. And I seem to notice basically Celtics fans around him being like, oh, you know, it's fine. You know, we didn't necessarily need Gordon Hayward. And it hurts. You know, the Celtics don't have any cap space. The only ways they've been operating has been really through trades. Uh, And of course, the Kemba Walker signing, but that was a signing trade as well. So losing Hayward means you've lost the ability to move important salary and it just feels like Ainge always tries to play the market and play his opponents. And he got played trying to play others. Um, and that really hurts because I don't know where they go from here. Uh, you know, obviously they have Tatum, who's a phenomenal player and Jalen Brown's great, but Kemba Walker is a, a shorter point guard uh, with a bad knee and he's on the wrong side of 30. So th- there are problems that just, aren't going to go away. And I don't know how the Celtics are going to get out of it, especially because of how they've handled some of their, their picks. There's still time for them, of course, but you look at some of the, I think they had what, four selections last year, three or four selections. And um, Grant Williams is, is a good rotation rotation piece, I believe. Otherwise it's just, you know, Romeo Langford looked like the shell of himself. Uh, Yeah. I don't, 
I feel like they've mismanaged assets that they could have easily cashed in on, but they were so worried about losing that they didn't go to win. And now they've lost. So I agree with you. I think they're probably the biggest winner. Excuse me, biggest loser. Maybe you could argue the Pistons had a worse offseason than they did, but it's it's pretty close. Yeah. They just burnt through all their money right away. Yeah. And on like two positions. And the fact that Jeremy Graham, or Grant, excuse me, would be willing to go to Detroit instead of staying with a contender in Denver, saying he'd have more of an opportunity uh, from a more of an offensive role. I mean, perhaps, but you're playing with the best big man in the NBA uh, from a passing standpoint, and you just went to the Western Conference Finals. Is it really going to be that significant when you're playing on a bad team and no one really cares about you in Detroit? But Yeah, you know, and they. They said they matched Denver matched Detroit's offer, and he just wanted more touches. I guess that's makes no sense to me because he's not he's not going to be averaging twenty points a game ever. That uh, Grant he didn't do that, and he was a great college player. He didn't do that in college either. He's not a scorer. I, I don't get that one. That was the, that was the weirdest signing to me was Grant to Detroit. Yeah, Jeremy, who do you feel like uh, won free agency? Um... I was I was kind of interested to hear Bobby Mark's take that he felt like the moves that the Portland Trailblazers yeah, made made them the second seed in in the West, and I was really um, I I don't know I just didn't really see that. I mean I I think they had a nice off season. I I think they added some good pieces, um, but I, I I didn't see that. Who did you feel like you know really made an impression in terms of what they did to build their their roster? Yeah, I'm with you in terms of the Blazers. I. I like what they did. I didn't love it. I thought the Covington trade was very sound, but a lot of the other pieces they seem to add maybe don't move the needle quite as much Right. Um, to the point where they're really going to stand out and be that second seed. Um, I mean, across the league, I I do really like what the Sixers did. They still have a little bit more work to go, but you know they had a really bad situation, and it took just one – um, first round pick and a second round pick to get Al Horford out and they got Danny Green and they've added shooters. Um, they're still a little too big. I, I still think that Mike Scott and the Knicks second round pick back to New York would be uh, perfect for both teams, especially because Philly has to deal with a pretty brutal luxury tax. Um, but I, I do, I was a really big fan of the moves they made and I, I think um, getting Tyrese Maxey was quite nice mm. as well. Yeah, so he, he dropped, he fell quite a bit. Yeah, he really did. Um, and, you know, I, I I hate to say it, but I do think that Dallas made some very prudent moves as well. But I don't know if they'll pay off this year because, you know, Terry is very young. Green is also young as well. Yeah. Um, it, they definitely made upgrades. It's just a matter of to what extent. Um, the West got a lot more competitive. And, I, and I'd say the Suns, you know. Yeah, Suns I don't know what their long-term season. future is, but – Right now, if you're looking at the two years and the window they have, they did a really great job of exploiting this year. And they're going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to watch them. Yeah, they'll be a big league pass team for sure. Um, To go back... The Hawks? Yeah, oh my god. (laughs) I I hated what the Hawks did. Did you really? Yeah, I really, really do. Um, Well, let's talk about the Hawks a little bit because I'm the The only... You know, we had... um, we had Brad Rowland, who I think writes, you know, he writes for the SB, SB Nation um, Hawks site. And we talked a lot about John Collins' uh, impending extension. And, um, 
I don't know. I mean, like his whole thing was that they weren't necessarily in uh, under pressure to do it because of um, the performance enhancing drug suspension. He was injured as well. And they felt like, you know, extending him next season as opposed to this season would, would dovetail nicely with maybe Trey Young's, you know, future extension coming up as well. Um, but, you know, just, just the gluttony of bigs, Capella, Okongwu, um, Collins, I'm sure I'm forgetting, uh, Gallo, you know, it's just, I don't know. Uh, um, it, it does, I mean, it would seem like Collins is going to be traded, but following some of the Hawks guys that I follow on Twitter, they're not saying that. I don't know if, if that's necessarily true. Like, I think from a talent standpoint, they got a lot better, but but what's your, your feeling on why they, they didn't do so well? I get where they were going, but to me, it just kind of feels like desperation. Um, I don't think Schlenk is a particularly great GM, um, or a very good GM, or just an adequate one. I think the problem is that uh, because he is cut from the Golden State cloth, he has this idea in mind of, I'll replicate that in so many ways. And right. he did a phenomenal job getting Trey Young, but he also did have the opportunity to get Luka Doncic. And I'm true. sure that from a marketing perspective, and maybe just from the Hawks' point of view, that um, Luka was not the player that they wanted long-term, and that Trey would fit perfectly. But based on the fact that they had an abysmal defense and they really didn't fix that too much, Okongwu is going to be great for them. But if he's coming off the bench and not seeing that many minutes, I don't know what contribution he's going to have. Or the fact that you're shifting Gallinari most likely to the three and he should really be a four primarily. He found success in Oklahoma City. That was a huge part of it too. And of course, playing with, Someone like Chris Paul, Trey Young's a phenomenal passer, and um, his vision is spectacular. So I'm hoping that, for their sake, that it can still kind of replicate some of that. But it felt like they had to go all in right now on their cap space because why wait? And we'll see about Bogdanovich. I think tonight is the deadline. Right. Uh, so by the time people listen to this, they'll they'll know if he's a hawk or not. Yeah. But. It just doesn't feel like it, it fits, and it's a very young team. They'll definitely be in a play-in game at the worst. Uh, I could see them being an eighth or ninth seed. But long-term, it just feels like a low-ceiling team. And, and this was actually something I was worried about with the Knicks and something I evaluated um, when before I switched over to the Strickland and when I was writing for Knicks Film School. Uh, the idea of having two long-term contracts for starter-level players. Um, and so in this case, it, what I said was like, I'd be fine with one because I think you can move it relatively easy and you can easily and you can make it basically a uh, trade filler. You can use it as salary to go in for a bigger star when the time comes by attaching other assets that you have. But when you have two, you're kind of stuck with at least one of them long term. Um, and the Bogdanovich contract is a killer. It's got a trade kicker. Um, it's it's it's. 18 every single year. And again, if they don't get him, if the contract gets matched, then there's really no one to spend that money on mm. or Gallinari where he's, I want to say 32 years old. And uh, I, you know, I was willing to pay Gallinari like 16 a year over two years. I thought that would be um, market, a fair market deal, but clearly the Hawks had other um, thoughts on that. And uh, they gave him yeah. three years and over 60 million, which 
that's a lot to give to someone who's never made an all-star game and is on the wrong side of his 30s professionally never played 70 games either right and and he made a great point in a i think i read it it was a mike scotto article um gallinari is not really injury prone uh, and i called him that as well so it was it was uh, enlightening to hear and i agreed with what he was saying but he still gets uh, it's these significant injuries over the years and it's the fact that he doesn't play maybe due to rest um He's not a guy that you can rely on to play an entire season and then go a long distance in for the postseason. Um, and it just felt a lot like placating Trey Young. Like, we're going to make the playoffs in your third year and you're going to take that leap. And that's great. But if the pieces aren't congealing around him and if they don't have a higher ceiling, what does that mean for them? It felt a lot like Minnesota trading for D'Lo. Like, we're, we're doing something for you to try and show you that we're competing for the playoffs and we're not going to suck again. And then <laughs> like, don't, yeah, like a please don't leave 60. move. Especially because Trey Young's represented by Clutch now, so they know he's going to finesse and he's going to be looking at outside mar- bigger markets, and that's what it felt like. But I – look, I think, Gall- like you said, Gallo at small forward, that's a recipe for disaster, 130 points every single night. Trey Young, Gallo. Oh, Bogdanovich. Yeah, but Okoro, I mean, that, you know, I mean, we don't know. Okoro is 19, but that, that I did like that pick for them, you know, based on the fact that. Okungwu, you mean, right? Yeah. Who who got Okoro? Oh, Cleveland. Uh, oh, my Cats. God. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my that God. That was a surprising one. Damn, the Hawks are in trouble, man. The they are. Yeah. <laughs> They are in a rough They need spot. to trade Collins. They may need to trade Collins. No, for they, a they they yeah. probably do. Um, it'll be interesting too. I think when when Trey gets his extension, I, I I wonder how close to the luxury tax they'll be um, with some of those guys. I don't know how how close will they be, but um, it's somewhat of a smaller market. I don't think it's a crazy small market, but I don't know how that ownership will feel about that too. They should be good. Um moving forward in terms of the luxury tax, but they don't have any wiggle room really, especially because the salary cap is going to be increasing by um, at minimum 3%. And given everything going on, I don't know if it's, if it's going to be more than that. Yeah. Uh, So that could certainly hurt them though, in terms of how they add talent around him. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, I just wish that the Southeast were a better division because then the entire Eastern conference would look, a little bit bigger, a little bit better. Um, but I do feel for those small market teams that are making hasty moves to try to appease stars and, like you're saying, Chip, show that we're trying to win and there's there's um, an impact here as opposed to this idea of preaching patience. Um, and that simply just players don't want to be patient. We saw that with Porzingis. He, he didn't want to stay that much longer because he wanted a plan and plan wasn't given to him. Um, and right. We can't really fault him for that. I think um, it's it's interesting too. It it kind of reminds me of a conversation that Chip and I had with uh, Kirk Henderson. He's the editor in chief for the Mavericks SB Nation um, site, and he kind of compared the simulation the the situation with Luca as well to one that they had with Dirk. And he talked about how the Pelicans kind of tried to speed up their timeline. Something that Chip was saying similar uh, with the trade with D'Lo, but. With Anthony Davis, they kind of made a lot of different moves to try and appease Davis, and it really didn't work out that great. 
Um, and he was kind of preaching for the Mavericks to build how they built around Dirk as opposed to how it seems they might want to build around Porzingis. Because you start putting all these big salary players on your team and not necessarily, like you said, thinking about how it congeals and how it fits. And yeah, on the surface, it seems like you're being active and you're making these moves, but when they don't translate in wins, the end result is your player gets frustrated and leaves anyway. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Uh, but I wanted to go back to the Knicks uh, real quick. And one question that I wanted to ask you, uh, it's, it's obviously been a huge debate on uh, Knicks Twitter, the direction that the franchise should take. Uh, and it off, I feel like it often gets watered down into kind of like um, a more uh, an, an either or direction when there's there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of gray to it. But you have the sides that say, listen, let's tank and try and maximize our chances of getting a top pick in what looks like is going to be a very loaded 2021 draft. Or let's do um, you know our best to put a competitive roster on the floor uh, to make ourselves more attractive and, and uh, to free agents in the future. Um, ultimately, you know, what route do you think they should take? And do you think the off season moves that they've made this, this so far indicate that they've chosen clearly a path or do you feel like it'll, there will be some gray? I think there's gray at the moment just because of Randall and the abundance of cap space that they have. But if you look at the roster, I mean, they had, to begin with, it was like eight guys under the age of 23. Yeah. And I, I, I need to double check the ages of Spellman and Evans. I mean, if they even are really significant in any way, I could see Evans just getting cut or traded elsewhere. Uh, and Spellman would be a minor player. If you're a young team, you're not going to succeed. And the fact that they don't really have many players who have come close to hitting their prime yet, that's going to hurt them. Uh, to me, it's not necessarily oh well let's let's figure out a way to tank i see it more as like this year just be as competitive as possible yeah Uh, because if you don't do well then you're gonna luck into a great pick uh and if you do well then you have come further than people would have expected and if it's that middle ground where it's like the seventh eighth seed the seventh seed the seventh worst record i guess i should say has won the lottery the last two years and I think the years of kind of just like it's one thing to try to aim for a bottom five pick by aiming for the worst record. But if you're not going to be the worst team, then how much are you mitigating? And with a great draft class, you can maybe afford to win a couple more games than you thought you would have. Um, but for me, it's, it's very much this year, just anything goes. I'm really comfortable with however it plays out, but I do think that 2021 is when you absolutely need to, figure out a way to become at worst the 10th seed and be in a playing game and preferably better than that because that is your audition year that is the year where you need to start showing to other free agents that are out there because the 2022 class is going to be much better Um, this is who we are this is how we're trending and this is what we've shown Um, because a lot of fans seem to think that oh it's very easy you can just go from um, bottom of the of the lottery or excuse me, you know, like a bottom five team or so right. and make the playoffs very easily. And yes, the playing games help, but you need to take a step into like that mediocre type uh, range of like seven, eight, nine, ten, 10. Um, and then you can get into 
the more play and style. Um, we saw John Morant. That that's unexpected. It's very rare for a rookie yeah. to catapult a team from that bad to that good. And at the end, he still didn't even wind up making the playoffs with the Grizzlies. Right. So um, this is your year to kind of be that middle lottery, maybe a little bit less team. Um, and the thing I'm going to be looking for the most is how their record is going to be by the trade deadline. Because it's one thing to just kind of trade a bunch of your players and then hit reset and bottom out for the last however many games. Um, but it's another where if you're just like flat out bad entirely, that's not a great sign. I think that was another thing I wanted to ask you about, um, something that me and Chip were talking about offline. You know, what would be your indicators that this team is moving in the right direction? Like I... I I was talking with Chip a little bit about the difference between the the Giants and the Jets right now. I'm a Giants fan, and and Chip is a Jets fan. And so both teams are bad, right? But for me, uh, being a Giants fan and and seeing that it looks, at least from the the surface level, that the Giants have a plan going into every game. Uh, They can't necessarily execute on that plan because they don't have the talent to compete with other people. Uh, The Jets... Uh, and I see Chip smiling at me a little bit. But they look like they've given up on their coach. They don't give a shit. And um, and it just looks like it's a dumpster fire over there, which is kind of what we've seen with the Knicks. When they're really bad, that's typically what they look like. Um, so what are going to be your indicators to to show you that, okay, we're moving in that position where, okay, now year two, we can shoot for a play-in game. And then in year three, we've now shown potential free agents that, this is the place to be because of how we've improved. I'm also a Giants fan. So <laughs> I actually think that's a really fantastic comparison. If the Knicks are losing a lot of close games that you could you could say woulda, coulda, shoulda, but it's basically like, look, if if the Knicks are losing a lot of these games by like less than seven points, then you just need a finisher to right. put them over the edge. Right. And then suddenly those losses look a lot better. Um and you're, the only difference, of course, between the Giants and the Knicks, in my opinion, is the NFC East is just Horrible. such an abysmal division, right. and the Atlantic is just Stacks. incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so if you can find a way to look like the offense is being built, uh, that there's a defensive foundation, um, that players are just generally happy to be in New York, because one of the senses I've gotten is that the Knicks have been bad, but players don't really want to be there. And the reason that they're there is because they were overpaid and they're just looking for their next contract. But if you create and foster an environment where the players actually love being on this team, and even though they're losing, they're upbeat about it because they can see where the direction is headed. Mm. If everyone's aligned, then I think that speaks volumes and players talk. Their relationships are huge. If you are able to showcase that, then that's going to be fantastic for the Knicks. So, I guess that's kind of more of where I would go right now and what I hope they can accomplish this season. I'm glad you brought that up about the atmosphere because I wanted to ask you about the future. Who's your – because we always talk about first star in the door. Who's your ideal first guy in the door for the Knicks to start building for the future? For me, it feels like it's got to be the like two guys at the same time. Um, right. which I know feels like a cop-out of an answer, so <laughs> I apologize on that front. But 
I think there's truth to it might have been Ian Bagley who said it where it's like people that one guy doesn't want to come like there's right. a guy who's a star who's very interested in the Knicks but he doesn't want to be the person who takes the first step but if two great players take that leap of faith then that's something to be said so the big question that I keep asking myself and um, you know I, I know I'm just asking probably to get my heart broken again but in terms of the Lakers in 2022 how are they building around Anthony Davis if you look at the free agent market especially if Giannis resigns and is just completely off the board. You're basically looking at bringing in 33 year old James Harden. Um, you don't have the assets to trade for a star. Maybe LeBron is still who he is now. You know, I mean, he could be 50 and he'll still probably be playing at a great level. But <laughs> at a certain point, you have to wonder how to surround talent. And the Knicks have done such an incredible job of creating those Kentucky roots and trying to stabilize themselves and, and achieve some level of respectability that by then the idea would be we've had a season to be bad and we got a great pick. Um, again, I still think BJ Boston is probably the early front runner if, uh, because he goes to Kentucky, but we'll see. And then the next year you do start to make that step into um, exciting games, whether it's play in or playoffs. And you're able to show kind of like what the Nets did of we're progressing. We were very bad, but now we're, we're doing things. And then to me, Toppin, and Jeff, I know you are very high on him. I, I wasn't as much, but more in the sense that I think he is coachable and I think you can mask a lot of his flaws. But to me, the idea of drafting a 22-year-old who you know is going to be a day one starter, as he should be, is that in the next two years, something's gone horribly wrong if he hasn't shown value right away. And it's kind of like the players who are older can be showcased in that sense of like, if you needed to make a package for a second star to come through, um, you could start something with Toppin and one of the other players that's currently on the Knicks or the 2021 pick or, uh, or, and future picks. Like there's a way to make that package and make it look as presentable and marketable as possible. Because when your team starts winning, the players around you look far better and they look like winning talent like Tyler Hero if he goes to Minnesota no one's talking about Tyler Hero in Minnesota it's it's the fact that he's on a winning team and his his game was elevated by that and so that's what I think the Knicks are going to try to do it's they have so many assets that they will need to start um pooling them together at some point and using them as opposed to just you know picking a player with a late first round pick or an early second round pick They've got to package them. And I think that's probably, you know, they'll probably spend maybe on Alonzo Ball doing something there. But down the line, there's a reason why we're seeing assets for 2023 and beyond. It's because I'm convinced they still have their eyes on 2022 as the year to strike. And it's a lot easier to trade future picks than it is to trade picks that have already occurred because then teams may not like the player you drafted. But a draft pick can be anything. And those Clippers picks could be really valuable without Kawhi probably being there. The Clippers could be terrible then. Mm-hmm. And Lou Williams's contract is up by then. Clippers could have all those guys gone. Those could yeah. be really good picks. Or the fact that uh, the Jazz second round pick, I think that's the same year that um, is the conclusion or could be the conclusion of Donovan Mitchell's contract. Yeah. So if there's this belief of for opting out, like maybe in 2024 he does decide that he's going to opt out and the jazz get nervous 
maybe they trade him or the 2026 second round pick in the Ed Davis deal from the Wolves. Maybe everything goes to shit and Carl Anthony Towns bolts. D'Angelo Russell doesn't want to stay. Anthony Edwards, if he's not the player that they want him to be, or um, if he doesn't want to be there anymore as well, there, you know, that's going to look like a good pick. So it's smart what they're doing. And I, I'm still curious if the double draft will actually be 2023. Right. But even if it isn't, you now can trade your Mavericks pick because you've got insurance with two pretty good second rounders as well. One, um, one thing I wanted to ask you, I have another one after this, but um, I was arguing with my friend a little bit uh, via text about the value of the second round picks that the Knicks got. And I, I like them, but something that you brought up was something that he said as well. And he was like, well, you know, teams can just purchase second round picks. So are they really that valuable? And I kind of wanted to ask you, um, if you feel that that diminishes in any way, you know, the job that maybe the Knicks have done this off season, if, if it's just easy, you know, um, just to kind of purchase picks like that. Well, to start, um, for, from the Knicks perspective, but the thing about the, about purchasing picks is you absolutely can, but you need to find a buyer. Right. So if you can't find someone that's interested because there's a player that they love, like at the 33rd pick, the Knicks swapping it out. Um, for me, it was a little puzzling, especially as we see that they could have used a point guard and maybe running a rookie out there would solve some problems. It might eliminate the need for someone else on the roster. Who knows? Right. But as we saw, you know, getting the Hornets second round pick from, from Charlotte for Billy Hernan Gomez, they're able to take that and 27 and package it up for 23. Um, that to me is the value of second round picks being able to move up in any draft that they reside in. And um, because the reality is that if the Knicks wanted to make really a full court push to get a, you know, to move up, they have the assets. To right. Do it. Right. They just have to be um, pragmatic about it and it has to fit with the whole general plan. But so that's, that's to me, second round picks are great. You're right. You can absolutely buy them. Um, but if you don't have them, then you're still required to trade in for them. And if you can't trade in for them, you can't really get them. Yeah, you need Jerry Reinsdorf or Tillman Fertitta to sell you a second round <laughs> pick. <too. laughs> yeah. Um, Jeremy, my last one. And then Chip, obviously, you know, if you have anything else left for Jeremy. Uh, and if we ask this already, you know, please let me know. My memory is, is shot sometimes. But uh, we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that – the Knicks do have about 18.5 left in cap space. Uh, how do you expect that they will use that to improve the team? And um, how close are they to the cap floor? I was trying to figure that out um, at this point. So if memory serves, there may be like around 8 or $9 million. I, I, sure. I can't remember the exact cap floor number. And Admittedly, I, I didn't think the Knicks would be in the position where they'd even be below the cap floor. So, I know. Um, so I would have to double check, but it's it's going to be I think around ten million or so below what the current salary cap is. Okay. Um, for for using the rest of it, I mean, it's so tough because the market is just barren. Yeah. There's no one left. Yeah. You kind of have to go by trade. So you know, I I think it's still great to be uh, taking on some sort of small salary dump. Like if there is the say like the Mike Scott contract, uh, if you want to trade Reggie Bullock, you can. But then you're only netting, or you're only losing about two million dollars, which means you've still got like sixteen and a half million to spend, right. and that's not easy. So, again, I I 
still think the idea of getting a point guard like George Hill would fit into that very nicely, but there's nothing, you don't have to spend all of it. I, I think just hitting the cap floor to begin the season and opening up a little bit more to be flexible, like what the Hawks did last year, that's totally fine. Um, it is a little surprising to me that the Knicks wouldn't fill up their salary cap um, just based on the fact that, you know, for especially with the cap floor, Leon Rose is a former agent, so he knows what it's like when a team has all this cap space and one of or several of his clients need work and they can't get work because there's a pandemic going on and all the other leagues have started or they're, they're about to start and it's tough to get work. And now you're basically keeping it open just for the off chance that a team dumps a salary on you, which right. doesn't happen that frequently, especially mid season. So, um, yeah, I mean, it happened with the Mavericks, uh, they got a huge trade exception and, and I think that was the Harrison Barnes deal, but or other, there was another time as well, but it just doesn't make sense to, from an agent's perspective, why that you would do that. And you, relationships, as I said, are everything. So I think they will definitely spend more. I, I would still be surprised if Julius Randall's here by the first game of the season. And, right. You know, all due respect to him, but knock on wood that he has moved to a more comfortable situation. Yeah. For all parties we all involved. feel that way. Um, so I would spend it swapping out Randall, getting some sort of point guard. If it costs a pick, you know, you're already in a surplus from when you started the off season. So, um, it's really no skin off of your back. Randall seems like the logical guy. Yeah. And he needs to go to a place where he can play more five. Cause you look at his numbers when he was in new Orleans, he was at his best when he was at the five, but now with new Orleans getting Adams, I don't really think they'd have a need as much of a need for Randall as they would for like a wing or someone like that. But no, Randall seems like the right guy to get out of there. But the, I have a couple more questions for you, Jeremy. The first one I want to ask for you, uh, we just saw the stars from the 2017 draft class, get their uh, contract extensions, like Fox, Tatum, Mitchell, um, bam today. Uh, But the Knicks obviously haven't signed Frank yet. Uh, That's going to be a, big topic of conversation, whether or not he gets that. Uh, what's your take on Frank? Should the Knicks extend him? I think they should. I think the biggest reason for that, though, is if you look at Cleveland and where Brock Aller came from, they did a fantastic job of locking up their young players because what they realized was we can trade them if we want to. We have control. We don't have to worry about outbidding anyone in the market. I don't see a lot of teams extending huge offers to the Knicks for Frank Nielakina next year, but that could all change with one short season. Uh, 15 teams are expected to have cap space. That's half the league compared to what we just saw was six. So if I'm the Knicks, I basically just say, here's a starting salary of $8 million. Because again, the Knicks have so much money next year that that's, it barely makes a dent. And you're able to turn that contract into something else if you want it. The problem with the Cavs is that they they have been stuck with those contracts because the players haven't lived up to it. Mm. And they're also a smaller market, so they care more about keeping them because no player is really going to go to Cleveland uh, unless you're LeBron James for the second time. So I would I would say to Frank, you know, this is my offer. It's if you want it, take it. If not, we can come back to this next year and 
maybe Frank wants to bet on himself, but I think somewhere around the you know seven and a half eight million dollar range is is fair, especially considering how the salary cap is not going to be increasing like we thought. You know, in normal times it was supposed to be a hundred and well originally one hundred fifteen, and then of course Daryl Morey Gate happened and that went yeah. down a little bit, but then it was supposed to be one hundred twenty five the following year. So a lot of these guys are going to be losing money that they thought they were going to potentially get. So it wouldn't hurt a player like Frank to lock in that money right now. And Chris Don just got two years, $10 million. And I think he's probably, he's kind of like Frank Nielakina light because his, his jump shot is so bad that it's, uh, it doesn't even have the potential that Frank's jump shot has. And, if he's a $5 million player, I think Frank Nilakina is an $8 million player for yeah, sure. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. And he's 26. Yeah, exactly. You're and paying he's for upside yeah. with, with Frank at least. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, that's what me and Jeff were talking about. Like you're, if you can sign a 22 year old to a four year deal, you're crossing your fingers and hoping he gets better at the same time too. So that's what you're, you're locking him in for four years. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it makes sense to do it, but it's just there's so many people who have an irrational hatred for Frank Nilakina. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. I think I mean like not to go too into the pop psychology part of it, but I think if we really boiled that down to it, it has to do with his personality. I think I think there's a a certain sect of New York basketball fans that really appreciate and for whatever reason a type of aggressive player uh both from a personality standpoint and from an actual the way that he plays on the court they feel like that is success that is what success is to them and that's what's going to get them wins on the court so when you have frank who at least on the surface none of none of us know him but seems like a mild-mannered soft-spoken person but he does have talent and he is intelligent um I think people sometimes misread that as, you know, he's not, he's weak, he's not strong enough. And then you look at his stats and they don't stand out to you. And then that kind of builds a narrative. And I'm, I'm not the biggest Frank guy, but I'm just trying to, you know, kind of get in the minds of, of people that, again, there isn't a rational hate for him and it's, it's crazy. But um, I think that's the reason why, why people don't like him. People yeah. were arguing for Dennis. Oh, sorry, Jeremy. I was just gonna say people were arguing for Dennis Smith Jr. ahead of him because Macri like just suggested the Dennis Smith Jr. point guard debate, and people were like, "Oh yeah, Dennis Smith Jr. deserves to be point guard over Frank Nilakina." It was like, "What's happening right now?" <laughs> he was the worst player in the NBA last year. Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know the thing about Frank, I think it's it's puzzling to me because you think of New York basketball when it was great, it was a defense first environment. And here you have someone where defense is not going to be the sexiest of things, but for a city like New York, you'd think that the fans would appreciate that. I know with, with Toppin when he was drafted and I wasn't thrilled about it, I had someone um, comment or, you know, tweet at me basically saying like, Obi's going to be great because he's a hooper and the Knicks need hoopers. Right. And it's like, Oh, oh, okay. I mean, again, John Collins is a great player, but I don't know if he's a winning player. And maybe with better coaching, he can become that. Like with the fact that that Tibbs should hopefully be able to schematically make Toppin look better. But that you know, having a Hooper, like getting Desmond Junior because his highlight reel of him dunking in in high school, like an and one mixtape, isn't 
that's not going to win you games. It's, it's just not going to do that. And I think that there is a factor of because uh, Frankie Lakina is a little bit foreign and there is right. an inherent um, European bias. Right. And you, you saw it with Kristaps Porzingis. You saw it with Frederick Weiss. You've seen it all over the place. And even with Killian Hayes, we just saw it. Right. So, uh, and yet he was born in Florida and born his dad's American. Florida. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, people just kind of want to look for, for reasons to dislike something. Maybe it's because it's uncomfortable with them. And it's, you know, if you don't like Frank because you think that people aren't hard on him enough because of where his shooting's at or because you feel his defense isn't as good as people think, I get that. I, you know, if he's not progressing this year, that's it. He's gotten basically the amount of time for um, what would it be. So the third year is usually a breakout year for a lot of these guys, but because he was a year younger than so many of them, um, it, to me, it's always felt like he kind of gets that benefit of the doubt in the third year. Right. But now this should be equivalent to the third year of those guys who were born um, in the States, who were coming out as one and done at 19 years old. So if he's not showing something now, you know, then you kind of run out of excuses. You run out of reasons to say we should stick with this person. He was jerked around by Fizdale too. Fizdale didn't really like, obviously wasn't high on him. Started Trier at point guard and preferred D definitely preferred DSJ over him. Miller obviously liked him, but yeah, there's plenty of excuses to make for Frank, but at the end of the day is he needs to improve, but this is the make or break year. But I agree with you though. I would lock him in for sure. Um, I had one more question for you because I, I have to ask this one. Um, is there any team that makes sense for Russell Westbrook in, in the entire NBA? <laughs> yeah. oh, man. Jeremy, did you, you really just put Jeremy through the grinder on that one. Oh, geez. I, wow. That's <laughs> like, I feel like there's so many existential questions I could answer before that. Wow. Does God exist? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the grass is green because of this, you know. Right. Um, man. I, you know, the Wizards obviously are one option if the, where would he fit? Jeez. I'm trying to think of a team that is sort of like about to, to kind of tear it down where he would be the perfect place, which ironically would be Houston if they stripped the rest yeah. of their roster. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I mean, Orlando doesn't work. Poof. I think there's a team. I don't see them trading him to a team in the West. Um, I think then if you look at the East, it's kind of like okay, well, you know, okay, you know what I thought? I, th I think the Bulls would be a, a very interesting option. Okay. In that, you know, he, I, I still wouldn't like it, but if you're worried about Otto Porter Jr. being hurt, because I think he's only played like less than 40 games in, in a Bulls jersey. Um, you could send him as matching salary mm. and you could send picks with Russell Westbrook. And then you're looking at a team that is um, it's still a little clunky and you need more wings, but you could maybe make it work if that would be your goal. If your goal is to kind of rush the process a little bit more, um, I think Westbrook fits in that sense, but the Rockets just aren't going to have a good time. Why? You know, another place could be maybe Cleveland. Um mm. Maybe if there's a Kevin Love trade, swapping their salaries. Maybe if they trade Colin Sexton, because I'm still skeptical that the Cavs want to pay Sexton the money he'll have. Um, that could work, but yeah, you know, I um, 
that contract, I feel like just has to, time just has to expire before we can get to an official answer (laughs) on that. Billy Donovan would must be psyched to have the thought of Russell Westbrook coaching Russell Westbrook again. That's true. I, you know, I totally <laughs> forgot that he's there, so that might not be the best option. Yeah, they've had a weird off season too. Chicago. I thought they should have uh, brought Dunn back, but yeah, that the Chicago thing does kind of make sense because they do have they do have good young talent, even though apparently they're considering trading Wendell Carter and. Uh, Markkinen is always on the trade block too. Chicago makes sense. Cleveland's a weird one, but it it would it would be an interesting fit. And like yeah. you said, there's no evidence that suggests they're high on Colin Sexton. He's been in trade rumors. Even when he was playing well, he was in trade rumors. He's improved. And they drafted another. They drafted another point guard right after they drafted him, and yeah. he played well. Yeah. I, think, I, know, I mean, Okoro would be it'd be an awful fit for him. I'd really feel for well, him yeah. too. Oh but, my god, uh, yeah. And uh, Drummond, uh, you know. But hey, if that's if their recipe oh. is just to continuously mine top five picks, then uh, that's that's their prerogative. They can go for it. Definitely, oh, yeah. Andre Drummond and Russell Westbrook on the same team. Oof. That's that's enough. <laughs> that's enough to get people interested. <laughs> It's definitely an interesting question for Kobe Altman, for sure. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably where we're going to wrap up. Uh, Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for coming on tonight. Definitely had a really fun conversation. I think we're all really interested in seeing what next moves the Knicks make as a, in addition to um, you know what other franchises do as we kind of get closer to the start of the NBA season. Uh, Jeremy, before we let you go, if you could tell everyone listening where they can find you on Twitter, if there's anything you're working on right now, for the Strickland or Knicks Film School that you want to promote, please do so. Absolutely, yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at uh, at the coincidence. That's C O H E N C I D E N C E. In terms of what I'm working on, I've got a weekly podcast with Jonathan Macri for Knicks Film School, and when things start to uh, come into shape a little bit more, then I'll have uh, something to wrap up with Strickland and figure out where the Knicks go from here, what moves they did, how that reflects on the salary cap and um, all that good stuff. Awesome, man. Uh, Well, like I said, thank you so much for coming on again. We look forward to reading um, everything that you're going to be putting out with the Strickland and Knicks film school. And to everyone that is listening, we hope you guys are staying safe and we will talk to you soon. 